In advance, we'd like to apologise for the sound quality of this episode. Sadly, we had some connection issues during the call. Hopefully, I've salvaged as much as I can. And as they say, on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of a Franchise. As you can tell, I am Josh. Uh, I am joined today by Tony. It's beautiful! <laughs> and also Paul. That's very dangerous. <laughs> so for the next four weeks, uh, four months I should say, actually four weeks would be a bit quick, wouldn't it? Um, for the next four months, we're going to be uh, joining the incredible Dr. Henry Jones Jr. on his adventures around the globe, looking for all kinds of archaeological finds, getting into scrapes, getting bullets put in them, and we're going to have a whale of a time until we get to the fourth film. And don't um, forget, don't forget, Beating that annoying red line to his destination. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I don't mind the red line. The red line was part of my childhood. It's arriving not by alongside you, though. <laughs> <laughs> so tonight we're going to start with uh, Dr. Jones' search for the Lost Ark of the Covenant. We are going to be talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark, an absolutely brilliant film. Easter classic. It's always on on at Easter. Always on BBC One. In always fact, Christmas as well, as as Tony's just said. It's um, before you before you ask me the question, I'll just jump in where where I first came across the film, <laughs> uh, and that was I was just having a look on YouTube now. I think I probably said you think it was Christmas Day, nineteen eighty four, at eight thirty p.m. To be precise. <laughs> <laughs> My God, he remembers the time. What a no, what <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, let's go with where we all, as Tony just uh, starts us off, let's all go with where we first came across the Indiana Jones franchise. Tony's given us a head start. Paul, tell us where you came across Dr. Jones. Now, it's, it's a really strange one because I have memories of seeing bits of them, mainly the third one um, from being on TV, but it was never something that I, I kind of grasped. I didn't yeah. get that it was Spielberg and it was Lucas at mm. the time. So I, premiere and it would have been about 92-ish then on the telly, perhaps? Which would have been right. I would have been about eight. Yeah. So 
that seems about right. But then I got into the Star Wars stuff. Um, and my brother, not the one that I live with, actually, weirdly, the, the one that, I, that had moved away by the time I was, I'd grown up, um, bought me the box set of Indiana Jones because he'd seen that I'd liked Star Wars. And he bought mm. me the box set. So, <clears throat> And that would have been DVDs. And it's still the same box set that I've watched for this. I've still got yeah. it. And it's got to be a good, oh, God, 20 years old now, probably. Jesus. I would imagine. So it would have been like early DVDs. Um, yeah. So. I'm referring to this because I've got the old VHS and the DVD and the Blu ray, but I haven't got yeah. the 4K because I don't have a player. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah, I, I would imagine it was early teens when I got that box set. Jesus. Oh, God. Right. So, well, mine is pretty similar to yours, except it's vastly more vague because. Mine also involves a box set, but it's a VHS box set of Indy. Um, I have absolutely no idea where it came from, who bought it, who it was bought for, whether it was me, my dad, someone else. I don't know. It's just always been on the shelf in the little bedroom with all the rest of the VHSs, and I used to watch it. I, I think I nearly wore the tape out at one point <laughs> of uh, The Last Crusade because that quite controversially Last Crusade is my favourite Indiana Jones film um, it's uh, yeah it's I've no idea where it came from I just know that that's the that was my introduction to Indiana Jones I just picked the VHS up one day and put Raiders of the Lost Ark on or Temple of Doom one or the other and never ever looked back it's a, a brilliant franchise and I cannot wait to get into this with you um, so, as I said at the top of the episode, we're starting with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, according to fandom, and I'll take this with a grain of salt because it is fandom, um, this is actually the second film chronologically because it takes place in 1936 and Temple of Doom actually takes place a year earlier in 35. So, Indy's been doing his thing for a good number of years by now. Um and there was just something that I noted when I was having a look through all um, like the online stuff, uh, reading around the film and stuff. There's a lot of expanded media that I had absolutely no idea even existed. Like there's well, there's books, there's uh, the odd comic here, here and there. Um, yeah, yeah. I was just like, what the... Like I, I had no idea any of this stuff. Like there's the stuff about... Um, him going after it or seeing the Ark of the Covenant, Jordan Crystal Skull, and going back for it. Mm. Um, obviously following the events of Crystal Skull. Um, it's just all things like that. And I thought, you know what? I've never ever gotten into any of this stuff. I didn't even know it existed. And it's you guys know what I'm like for expanded media from franchises. Like I am really looking to get into this stuff now. Was, there was the Atlantis game, wasn't there, on PC, I think, back in the day as well. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and there was also a game on the... Um, was it the Wii? I can't remember something about... There's been it. various Lego games. Yeah. Well, I think that, there, was, there was an indie game on the Wii as well, if memory serves, because you used, like, the, the controller for the, the whip and stuff. Oh, yeah. No, actually, now you say it, yeah. Oh, I'm trying to remember what it was called. Because I, th- I saw it, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to get that. And then um, I saw, like loads of reviews for it basically and they're like don't even bother <laughs> like don't waste your money um 
in fairness, in expanded media, India, indie has been up and down in terms of quality. But mm. if if it's interest and stuff and like you know what I'm like for mythology well, and legends the and BBC things. Years since I watched it, I think it was on BBC on a Sunday afternoon or something. It, it, it did sort of just sort of expand what we know about him in his youth because because interestingly, the, there's a lot of set up exposition in, in the early part of this film. I mean that the relation we'll, we'll get to her eventually, but his relationship um, with, with with your ex that you like left ten years before. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's off. it's even stuff with um with Belloc, the main vi- villain of this film. Yeah, um, so, yeah, when we see him first, there's a suggestion they've known each other for a while. Yeah, it's um, and I, I did make a note of that quite a lot throughout the film that there's a lot of hints at what has gone before. Yeah, mm. I always thought for donkey's years before I actually looked into this stuff that oh, it's just some it's some some little thing in the script for someone to go right i'm going to take that and i'm going to go and write about that but no one's ever gone and done it and then i looked online i'm like there's all this stuff when we get into that first bit of the film he mentions the guy that got to such and such a point and we then find what happened to him don't we yeah yeah there's a circle circle of hunters obviously that he's been in part of for years yeah yeah so uh during my little research into the indie franchise um I actually came across a little bit of uh, something, well, a little bit of little nugget of information that I had never known before. Um, obviously, this film comes out after the absolute phenomenon that is Star Wars, or the first Star Wars, at least anyway. Um, and apparently, this film was conceived by George Lucas while he was writing Star Wars and was going through a bit of a writer's block. Mm. And he started writing... Uh, Indiana Jones fleshed out all the characters, all the backstory, and the main plot line of Raiders. Um, and then obviously he found out that, um, like, he, it, Star Wars was basically going into production, and he obviously for India side focused on Star Wars. Star Wars took a massive toll on George Lucas's health, both physically and mentally. And when the film was going into theaters he basically fled to Hawaii and hid mm-hmm. from the public because he thought it was going to flop that badly. Yeah. So while he was there, he ran he into someone. Find out about the opening night or something like that. I remember. That yeah. Movie. On the opening night of Star Wars, Spielberg was also in Hawaii mm, and uh, they met up for dinner and to basically keep George's mind off Star Wars, they started talking about George's other project, Indiana Jones. And throughout the course of the dinner is when George Lucas convinced Steven Spielberg to uh, direct all three films in the main trilogy. Um, so that's the little nugget of how Indiana Jones came to be and how arguably the world's greatest director ever came on board for this franchise. He said it, it, was, it was an homage, wasn't it, to the sort of 30s and 40s adventure yeah. series? Yeah, all the, all the stuff, like, uh, obviously Flash Gordon was inspiring of Star Wars and stuff like that, and all the, um, I think, not, I was going to say Buck Rogers, but there was um, there was one particular serialised character on. And you had the, um, minds have been in the past as well, and things like that. Yeah, sort of... yeah, yeah. Um, so starting off with the, the film itself, let's get into the crux of it. Um, the, the entire opening sort of, I don't know, do you, do you call it? A, the entire sequence 
um, where oh, he's getting what they call the Paramount Dissolve, which is so well done in each of the films. Actually, I always think <laughs> that Dissolve from the logo to the to the real Mankey. It's a great. Yeah, I, I I miss I miss that sort of painted look of the Paramount logo. I don't like the mm. the new one where it's just the stars flying over the lake and then yeah, we just yeah. And I don't like that. I like the the painted one. It's more iconic. I'm a fan of the Sonic one. The Sonic. Oh God, yeah. With the rings. Yeah, it's not bad, but you know, you can't beat a classic. <laughs> um I gotta mention that the best comic book villain of all time is in this sequence. Ah, uh, yes. Doc Ock. Yeah, yeah is, Doc Ock is uh, <laughs> I, I can never say this guy's name right because I've seen so many pronunciations of it. I'm just gonna say it. Someone's gonna correct me. Satifo. I think that's right. <laughs> um, and he's an absolute slime ball when it comes to it. He's an absolute arse. The way Indy saves his life about five times over the course of this sequence yeah. from spiders, poison darts, um, basically getting impaled by uh, arrows and stuff. And then he just goes, yeah, I've got your whip. So that makes yeah. I'm going. But you got to admit, the um the sort of fake dummy of him being impaled by the spikes <laughs> that is horrific. Yeah, it is nasty. Just before Doesn't I look anything it, like him. <laughs> when 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 Indy's sizing up the thing and he copies his finger movements and it's just a really wonderful little stage movement moment. Yeah. He's, he's sat there watching it and, and he sort of copies his finger movement when he's... Oh, I love that little sequence. Well, just on the uh, the fertility idol that he steals at the start of the film, um, I got a note from my youth of playing every Lego game known to man. Um, when they parodied this, uh, this section of the film, um, he takes the idol from the stand, looks at it, and turns it to the camera and it's C-3PO's head. Yes, he does. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> Is it? I mean, there's obviously more than one Star Wars Easter egg in this film, um, which we'll come to in due time. But um, I had to give that a little bit of a mention. Um, <laughs> just going back to Alfred Molina's character, what the hell is that accent? That is a ter- <laughs> that is an absolutely disgraceful Spanish you, accent. You've got to remember at that point he was fairly new in the acting game and was yeah, Welsh. He, well, yeah, he's Welsh, but I mean, you know, I, I could probably I mean, do probably a better Spanish accent. Eric Latin accent, isn't it? I think that's... Yeah, it's ridiculously generic. Mm. Um, and then we get the big-ass boulder. That is the, it has got to be one of the most iconic scenes in cinematic history. And the score by the impeccable John Williams just tops it off, doesn't it? And the the, the sound as well. It sounds like great. I, I forgot. I, I, I got it on the amp, and this big rumble comes across the room. <laughs> Tony's neighbours thinking there's a fucking earthquake going on under his house, or, or Tony farting. Miriam <laughs> <laughs> uh, sat next door, going, "Oh, I see Tony's left another another one go." <laughs> oh, so obviously Indy escapes from the boulder and um, 
we get our introduction to the villain of the the film, Belloc, Renee Belloc. Um, I I did not know his first name for the first twenty three years of my life, and only from watching it this time round, and I now practically watch everything with subtitles nowadays to like get every hint of dialogue. Um, and it comes up that his name is Rene Belloc, and I'm like, how did I? I just always knew him as Belloc. Uh, what you don't know? Why do I not know people's first names in films? It's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm not sure he only comes up once, though, doesn't he? I think perhaps because uh, Marion mentions his name in the tent, and yeah. um, I think it's a bit further on than that. Again, it gets mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, it's when Indy's yeah. got the bazooka towards the end. That's it. I was just looking through my notes to double check. Um, um, Paul Freeman, who plays Belloc. Paul Freeman. What's that? Yeah, Paul Freeman. Um, he is an actor that I have not come across a lot, at, like well, at all, actually, throughout uh, my movie-loving life um i don't know any i don't know anything else that he's been in personally i I imagine i will be enlightened um but i think he's absolutely fantastic in this role it's just that's brilliant casting although i can't go from anything that he's done before but i i couldn't imagine anyone else doing that role Mm. um and what, as we were saying before about like expanded media and stuff, th- this is what we were saying about there's obviously history between Belloc and Indy, and yet it's never talked about throughout any of the other films, even the fact that Temple of Doom takes place a whole year before the events of this film. Mm. And you don't hear about him, you don't, you don't even know that he exists. Like, if you went on the internet, found out the chronological order of these films and watch them you wouldn't know any different it's, it's I think that's, that's, that's commonplace so really with franchises like this particularly when they throw in a prequel as well in it oh, yeah sort of, true you sort of you sort of pop in a character because i mean there's a point we'll, we'll get to a bit later on in the film where um where, where they fly across india and i'm thinking well he's just done that last year or he's going to do it <laughs> <laughs> Did he remember going to India before? He's waving down to the little, um, the little king of him. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's uh, the 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 thing when he's running from the uh, the tribe, and um, get obviously gets in the plane, makes his escape with uh, Jock. Um, his fear of snakes is such a throwaway thing. And I kind of get the impression that if they hadn't have put it in every single film since in some way that Indiana Jones does not like snakes, he's got a severe phobia of them, you wouldn't, like, you wouldn't care. Do you know what I mean? Although it is that extra layer to that character to give him something that he is actually afraid of. Yeah, this big rugged guy with, with... Why is he scared of a little slithery thing? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> In fairness, snakes are scary little fuckers. I'll just say this um, one as well. It, 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 and it's an iconic sequence that, of course, it's been referenced in Family Guy and The Simpsons over the years. 
Well, I, I, I always think um, Family Guy always do a better job of parody and um, film moments. Yeah. Um, that, what was the? It's there was one they did. Missionary camp, and then yeah, it that's finishes, it. It finishes with Meg with all those the arrows in her back falling into the ring. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Meg. Um, no, there was another one Family Guy did of, um, and it's when Indy's removing the idol at the start of this film. Um, yeah, and it, I can't remember what it was. Yeah, I can't remember but, the gag plays out though. After, yeah, yeah, about, yeah, yeah. Um, I I gotta say the the classroom scene, obviously when Indy gets back to the US, it is so funny. <laughs> and it, it it just does a massive pan of the entire classroom. I literally counted four fellas. Yes, <laughs> it, it it is brilliant. And I mean, obviously, I don't know what thirties culture was like. I don't know if girls actually would get their mascara or eyeliner pencil, whatever the hell it was, and write on their eyelids. I love you. <laughs> but that and is- I'm not sure if it had, it had passed these days. I think that had been taken out of the script. No, I don't. Well, I think there's was- quite a lot in this film that wouldn't pass. Oh yeah, in this day. Yeah, but I think if um, I think if they still set in that time period, they'd probably be able to keep it in. Mm. They completely rebooted Indiana Jones for this fifth film, which obviously they're not doing, um, and set it back in the thirties or twenties or whatever, and did like a lot of the stuff that they did film. I think they would be able to keep it in because they could just make the arguments of, well, A, that's what we was put in the original film, and B, that's what would have happened at the time. There would have been the slight racial slur. There would have been, like, the odd yeah, cheesy... Crushes on the teachers. Yeah, kids kid, kid sitting on the teachers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I honestly don't think it would pass. And, and I'll talk a little bit about some more later on um, that Disney are already working on to get rid of. What well, what well, what what have the have the already the, said what they're getting rid of? No, the the stunt show at Walt Disney World no longer features Nazis. Oh, ah. they have removed any reference to them being Nazis. So so what are they? Just like weird German occultists? No, they're just bad guys. There is no mention of what nationality they are or anything. What? What the fuck? I mean, that was like the entire point of Indiana Jones. He went and fought the Nazis in the run-up to the war. Actually, and yep. during the war. They they recreate three scenes from this film in the stunt show. They create the boulder effect. Okay. And they have the fight in the Arabian city. Yeah. Right. And they have the fight with the giant Nazi. Right, no well, longer fairness, has any feature to being a Nazi. Well, in fairness, I mean, um, Pat Roach doesn't look like a Nazi anyway. He just looks yeah. like a big barely, um, you know. But there is reference to them being Nazis in that mm, scene. True. On the plane, there is a Nazi yeah, flag. Swastika. Yeah, yeah, yeah that is gone. That is no longer on the plane. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you have to look deeper. When it comes to things mm. like this, I mm. I honestly don't think, um, and Indy also encourages it. He doesn't try to stop it. He bats his eyelid back 
I don't think it would pass. Oh, right. A student, student and a teacher thing would not pass in a film these days, I don't think. Not in that way. Not as a, a kind of throwaway moment. If it was well, what the whole story was, then that's different. But it, yeah, yeah. it's completely a throwaway moment in the film. Yeah, well, it's just, it stops him in his tracks when he's talking, doesn't he? He's completely not yeah. expecting here doing that. And it's sort of. Yeah. Makes him uncomfortable. Um, yeah. Well, I, I made a note just further on in this particular scene that um, we, we are introduced to Marcus. I, I absolutely adore this character. He is such a nice fella. And I mean, Elliot is a great screen actor. I mean, he's, he's oh, fantastic yeah. in places as well. He's just, oh, he's, he's, he did those sort of characters so well. And was one of the big problems with number four. Yeah. That he wasn't in it. Yeah, his yeah. absence was sorely missed, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He, he was dead by that point, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I don't know why I saw, I saw like conflicting accounts online that um he was one obviously saying he was dead, which is true, and then another one saying that he was on his deathbed, or like he'd had he'd suffered a stroke and was basically on his way out, so they had to do uh, without. He died well before. Yeah, he died now. To be honest. Yeah, uh, yeah, I absolutely love the character of Marcus in this film. I th- I felt like in Last Crusade, however, he was used as comic relief, but we'll obviously get to that in uh, in due time. Um, I mean, and this film, if you think about it, it's actually really fast paced. It gets into the main plot of the story very, very quickly. I I watched the. Point- I'm just going to jump in with a note I'd written for the next sequence, which was poor kids. <laughs> Paul what? From Star Wars. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I watched the um I watched the clock running up on the VHS player as I was watching this and um it's literally like about fifteen minutes and you, <laughs> like the the main plot is already starting. Yeah. Like you get the introductory bit obviously with them removing the eye and stuff, and that's only fifteen minutes, but when like you first watch it, if you're not clock watching, it feels like that opening sequence has gone on for absolutely ages because there's so much um, action and character developments in it. It's really, really well written. Yeah. Um. Now I've got to talk about the um, basically the massive exposition scene, which obviously in a film like this is needed because people aren't aren't going to be massively clued up on things like the Ark of the Covenant and. Um, the story and the myth and legend behind it all and everything. But while it is a massive exposition scene, I do not find it jarring in the least. I find it highly interesting. It's really well done because they, they use drawings and texts as well. And, yeah, yeah. It's not just people sat around the table going, oh, this happened, then this happened, then that happened. Then there was a, a sandstorm. You know, it's, it, it's, it's fantastically told. As the story should be, because it's based in fact as well. Because Hitler was obsessed with the occult. I mean, he would, things like the Spear of Destiny, he was obsessed with locating. Yeah, yeah. Important things would 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 win him the, the planet, you know. And it's sort of, so it's quite interesting in that respect to see them discussing that as something that was actually true. I, yeah. I, I I'm going to jump in with this because I think this first half of the film is a much more solid half. I find the back end kind of disperses into action scenes stitched together for the most part. Mm. So I really okay. like 
this thing because yeah. it gives you a bit more insight into India as well that we yeah. haven't had um, and that we don't get much more of after kind of him meeting Marion again for the first time. Um, no, I mean, yeah, it, it really showcases him as an academic as well. Yeah. Just a treasure hunter, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's not he's not just a whip wielding gunslinging um treasure hunter like Nathan Drake type thing. He actually knows his shit. Yeah. Um and after some slight technical difficulties, we are back. Um so I was just kind of saying before um Zoom decided to completely fuck up um that channel does a lot of this stuff and while the history channel always that source of information. It's a lot of conspiracy theory stuff nowadays. Um, it, it, it is like historical fact that Hitler did send out massive teams of archaeologists both before and during the war mm. to go and search for all this stuff. As Tony said, the spear of destiny. And as obviously this film touches on the Ark of the Covenant, obviously, well, so far as we know, he never actually found any of this stuff because in my opinion, it doesn't exist. Um, but, you know, the man was a fucking nutter. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and that's kind of why they're the, the perfect villain for this film and, and in and that background, that it just works for that context that they should be the villains I mean, up against. I mean, I think it also works for the third film in The Last Crusade, where obviously it's the Nazis hunting for the Holy Grail because that's yeah. it. it. Well, if you think about it, really, uh, Last Crusade is basically um, Raiders, but he's just going after something different. Yeah. Um, I would probably say that Last Crusade is just a better film, uh, a better film, quite controversially. <laughs> but. Um, Indy's then tasked with going to find the Ark of the Covenant and he goes and meets the woeful Marion in the, the fucking co- Marion's just a big piss at the start of this film. <laughs> and I've got to say, who the fuck whacked that fella the other side of that table with the ugly stick? <laughs> that was that guy in stuff. Man. He's a British actor, I think. I've seen him in stuff on telly. The guy that she's drinking against. He is, that is an ugly dude. <laughs> but you tell you what, you've got to admit though, Alan, who plays Marion, she was she is a gorgeous woman in her youth. Yeah, Karen Allen. Absolutely stunning. Yeah. I mean, obviously, age mellowed. When I'm when I'm watching but, this film, uh, ITV is a fourteen year old that is massive crush of Karen Allen from the back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I she was still really pretty well. when I met her. Yeah. Thought she yeah. was lovely still. When did you meet her? Yeah. Um, about how long ago was it? It was just after the last film came out. Yeah, so oh, was it? Oh, right. yeah. yeah, the mid Yeah. And okay. John Hurt the same day. Yeah. Go on. So um well the, this scene is obviously another thing that we were talking about to start start the episode. There's a lot of backstory that's explored. It's just hinted at between um, Indy and Marion. But it's also um, it's kind of suggested in the previous scene where um, Indy sort of explained about the history of the Ark and stuff in that... Was it Marion's father? 
who's like the sort of foremost authority on the arc, or is yeah. it the fella that she was dating? No, it's her dad. It is. A, it is her dad, right? Because yeah. because the, there were two people mentioned. One of them was Marion's father, and then there was another fella. Abner. Yeah, Abner, or is Abner Marion's father? Yeah. Okay, I've got that in my head now. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, this character was kind of um, damsel in distress of the film and stuff. But you've got to admit, this woman can handle her own. <laughs> I mean, she shoots a fella in the back. And, you know, she gives a... She throws a fair few punches. Like, she can, she can take care of herself. <laughs> I, th- I suppose this was sort of the start of um, like as we were saying when we reviewed Alien and stuff this was the start of like the female characters the strong female characters coming through which was sorely needed mm. in Hollywood yeah, but both yeah, just, just a few films just... and it's also that era when you had in action films you had people like Cynthia Rothrock as well coming to the fore and yeah, yeah. And straight to video action stuff as well in the sort of back end of the 80s so they were starting to get some sort of traction in small ways Back then, yeah. Well, um, we get the introduction of Her Tot, which uh, is the Gestapo agent sent by <laughs> the Fiora to uh, search for the medallion of the Staff of Rao. Um, fantastic turn from him as well. Fantastic uh, acting. Um, but I got to admit, I, I um, it just reminds me of uh, a low low. I mean, yeah. it, that's not. To, it's not to say it's a poor German accent because it's actually it's very a, sinister. Hello, hello, have shaped how you see the Gestapo, hasn't it? Yeah, and the yeah. thing is, he looks like him as well. That's the problem. <laughs> he like looks exactly yes. like, yeah, like, slightly chubbier version of, of yeah, Airflick. Yeah. So we've had technical issues again. There's something wrong with the interweb. Um. It's just one of those nights tonight, isn't it, lads? I think um, I think the Ark of the Covenant is having an effect on our electrical systems. <laughs> or or it's the Scientologists. It's the Scientologists. It's Tom Cruise. Blame Tom Cruise. We clearly haven't got a transmitter to God, I suppose. That's what... <laughs> <coughs> um, the, the acting of Hertot is absolutely brilliant. He's a sinister fella. You just you're actually scared of him when he first comes on screen. When he's got that red hot poker to Marion's face, mm, it's just oh no. I mean, obviously he doesn't actually torture her or anything, but it's it's what you create in your own mind of what he could potentially do to her. Um, it's when he when she says to him, "I'll tell you everything." I know you will. <laughs> <laughs> So we will ask the questions. Um, the the fight scene in the bar, it's obviously just a bust up. It's not it's not really that special in all fairness, but it is the fight scene for me in this film that shows that Indiana Jones is not particularly a franchise for kids. Um, if it is, you should be the kids should be watching it with an adult because. There's a fella who gets shot in the head and there's a bullet hole in his head. Um, yeah. There's a f- fella who gets shot in the back and just pukes up blood. I, it's, there's, a, there's a guy who has fucking first-degree burns on his hand. Yeah. Like, it's just... It's it's nasty. And, yeah. 
climax of the film as well is something very gory. So oh yeah, well I've got, I've got I've got a little bit of a story about that when we come to that. Um, the 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 prosthetic later on when her tot shows up again and he's got the um the medallion sort of burnt into his hand. Now that's not the best prosthetic in the world, but it's the idea of that's what it's done. Oh, that's nasty. That's really nasty. Um, obviously, then Indy and Marion make the trip over to uh, Cairo, and uh, we we get introduced to Mohammed Salah's granddad. Um, he is <laughs> one of the funniest characters in this franchise. He is just a lovely fella. He'd do anything for anyone. Give you the shirt off his back. He's a great fella. Um, again, as I said about Marcus, though, he's used massively for comic relief in the third film. But it works for him because he's not as... I mean, whereas Marcus is an academic and shouldn't really be, although he is, the bumbling Englishman. But Salah's like, character clearly loves life, his family. and Yeah, yeah. Outgoing, isn't he? Anyway, and it's just, it sort of works. I mean, so, I mean, have you seen how many frigging kids Salah has got? Jesus <laughs> Christ! The, the man obviously hasn't got a wireless. <laughs> it's a big family, isn't it? Jesus Christ! And actually, I will point um, out at this point that John was the only person to come back to portray his character in the ride at Disneyland. Oh, oh. was he? All oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, well, mind you, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have expected Harrison Ford to in all fairness come on. No, he's he's the only actor that has got two rides at Disney Park that he doesn't actually voice the character. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um I've, oh one of um Salah's sons, I think it is anyway, I could be wrong, is uh, the legendary actor Deep Roy. Yeah. I don't know if anyone noticed. Um, yeah. It's um I was watching it and I mean I, I kind of grew up with Deep Roy, but Deep Roy's one of them actors where you grow up with him but you don't know it's him. Mm. Because he's always like playing an Ewok or you know, you Umpa just don't Lumpa. see his face. Yeah. Umpa, yeah. Umpa, yeah. Umpa or he's playing Mr. Sin in Doctor Who, do you know what I mean? It's mm. it's just weird. Um but he was, it was the scene where he's preparing the plate of dates and then obviously the guy comes in and poisons them. Um, but I just saw his face and I had to pause it very quickly. I said to my dad, is that Deep Roy? And my dad also went, who the hell's Deep Roy? <laughs> I was like, you uncultured swine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I always got the feeling, especially in um, these scenes now that we're sort of in, the Egypt, Egypt, Cairo, Jerusalem area, um, that Harrison Ford seems a lot more comfortable in playing Indiana Jones than Han Solo. I don't know how you feel about that, but... Yeah. Can I just it, point it, out that Indy definitely shoots first? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, she does. Um, I was going to watch that scene next because there's story. a story there. <laughs> Oh, bringing us a, a knife to a gunfight. Um, the uh, the story behind that scene is absolutely brilliant. It's just basically 
we got one of the best scenes and funniest scenes in cinematic history because Harrison Ford had the shit. <laughs> yep, yeah. he shot himself. So they had to, <laughs> they had to cut the scene. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, was, I mean, you know, it, well, with dysentery, was he on the day of shooting it? And then he just asked George if they could try something different, didn't he? Yeah. And it worked it was, so well. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's a fair bit of comedy in this film, but that is one of two moments in this film that physically makes me laugh out loud every time I see it. Yeah. It is really good. Um, i got to say, though, that little fucking monkey... Yes! Is a little, he is a little bastard, him. In fact, I monkey is my dad. <laughs> yep, well done. You have to think what happens to him in the next film. Yeah. Killed monkey brains. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's the fact that that... The, right. Someone behind the scenes trained that monkey to do the Heil Hitler. Yeah. I mean, I know it's like probably historically accurate or something, and it's a little bit of a a chuckle moment, but like, was that really needed? That like the monkey's a snitch already. Like he grasses Marion up. It's just it's just the work that goes into that whole bit of like so obviously that the dude on the motorbike has left his monkey for the kids to find now, think assuming that they'll take it back home and that he'll yeah. get involved in it. It's a long game, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you a lot of patience to do on the motorbike. <laughs> well the um the music um where like with the whole sort of running around the streets of Cairo trying to find Marion in the basket, like John Williams just elevates every single second of this film with the yeah. score. Like yeah, that, that there is not one piece of music. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Like, it's it's all the like the deception and then the bit where the truck that he thinks Marion's in blows up. That's a fantastic special effect. Mm. I mean, it's it, it's a obviously a practical one, but it's brilliantly set up. Um, obviously, Indy now thinks that um, Marion Marion Brownbread. Like, I mean, he's <laughs> I can't admit though he has one drink in the bar and just gets over it. He gets over their death pretty quickly. Like, yeah, but um, <laughs> the. Yeah, he, li- li- literally, he literally has one drink and then the Nazis come up to him and go, yeah. someone wants a word. And he goes, oh, yeah, all right, so I'll just hang on a minute. And gets up <laughs> and goes. Like, to say Marion is supposed to be, like, the future mother of his child, the love yeah. of his life, he gets over it pretty fucking quick. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the, the chat between um, Belloc and Indy in this scene, though, it's very um I don't know, how, how do you describe it? It's um it's kind of like two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Um because Belloc's a little shit. And well, yeah, Indy's obviously got his faults what pe- what person hasn't. But Indy just literally wants the arc so that it's not in the hands of the Nazis. Mm. It's a bit like um going back to like the first film we ever reviewed. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. He wants it, but not to use it. Mm. Just to study it, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just a it's an artifact to him. It's not a thing of oh, I'm going to go and conquer the world with this thing. He couldn't give a shit. Mm. Um, the whole um sort of working out that we obviously got to get this whole sequence of them working out um 
where the arc is and stuff. Um, again, it's another exposition scene, but it just chills it. It chills the whole film out just for the couple of seconds. It's a breathing room bit, and yeah. I, the films subsequent to this don't really have that stuff because if you think about like Temple of Doom, for example, the only sort of chill out scene is when they're in the village before they go to the palace. After that, it's right uphill until the very end with action and all kinds. And then it's kind of the same with Last Crusade. Well, actually, no, Last Crusade has a lot more um, sort of chill-out scenes, but that's because you need a lot more exposition when it comes to the Holy Grail. Um, but yet yeah, this, this, this particular chill-out scene is brilliant because... I, I like these sort of things where it not only is it in the main character working out what the bad guys have done wrong so that he can then go and do it and correct it and get it before them, it also lets the audience work it out for themselves. It, yeah. like it, it brings the audience in and uh, envelops them into the, the, the story, the ongoing story. Um, so obviously Indy makes his way to the... Um, the dig site works out where the Ark of the Covenant actually is, and um, that's the map room sequence is just that's my favorite it, bit of score as well in that that scene there. Really yeah, it's fantastic in that scene. Yeah, that map room scene is just brilliant. It's it's the it's everything down to the lighting, the the music, uh, well, obviously the acting. It's just brilliant. It's a proper, it makes, it's like watching what the Uncharted film that came out recently should have been. Mm. No, don't be wrong, the Uncharted film's okay. Yeah, but, get... you know, it's it's not Indiana Jones. <laughs> Indiana Jones has a charm. Uncharted did not. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the map room scene's absolutely brilliant. Um, I've got to make a note, though, of uh, Marion in that dress. Fucking hell! That mm. is a se- that is a sexy woman in a dress. I do, do want to point out this tends to happen in a lot of uh, action films, where, where the uh, the villain of the piece dictates what the woman has to wear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I weirdly I watched Pirates of the Caribbean this morning, the first one, just because it was a, a nice bank holiday watch. I thought, oh, I'm just going to watch that, and Barbosa does exactly the same thing in that. <laughs> It's just a trope of um, action adventure films, isn't it? Yeah. That, thank God that doesn't happen anymore. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, but you got, you got. It's a beautiful dress. It's. Um, but it's, it's just a shame of the circumstance that um, it's sort of given to her and it's dictated. Um, the, the the scene in which her and Belloc get drunk together, it doesn't sit right with me for some reason. I, I don't know what it is because obviously she's he's not like getting her drunk for immoral purposes or anything. They're just getting pissed and laughing about the situation that they're in. But I don't know, it just feels like a weird scene. Like, why do they need to get drunk for her to then pull a knife on him? And like well, try and peg it out. It's been foreshadowed, of course, that she can hold her liquor, can't she? So she's not really getting drunk. So mm, true. 
from earlier that it's her, she starts him drinking because it's a way to get him distracted. Yeah, so she's playing along. She, when we see her laughing and stuff, she's not really drunk. <clears throat> yeah. Well, the the uh, the next the next note that I kind of made was um, as they're uh, they're opening the um, the sort of what do you call it the two yeah the tomb of the well of the souls um, that cloud overhead. Now, don't get me wrong; it's not the best CGI in the world. It's quite obviously eighties CGI, but it adds a lot to it. It's very um, what was that? What was the, the film that my dad referenced? Uh, Close Encounters. It's kind of like you're expecting the um, the ship from Close Encounters to come down and just like <laughs> hover over the Well of Souls. Mm-hmm. Um, what has got me? It's rather good. Co- you get that electrical storm as they're opening it up in the tomb. I think. Oh, what are the odds on that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's um, it's again, it's um, it's the music that elevates it, isn't it? It's the yeah. the massive uh fanfare that comes along with it it's absolutely brilliant and obviously um, what's at the bottom of the friggin pit just so happens to be Indy's biggest fear what are the odds <laughs> what, what yeah literally it's like oh how convenient for the plot <laughs> <laughs> um, I gotta say though the, the prop of the arc is absolutely stunning. Yeah. I mean, pro- probably like the majority of the film's budget went on that prop. But what a stunning prop. Like, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, Now, this scene is noted as apparently having the biggest Star Wars reference in the entire franchise. And in all the years I've been watching Indiana Jones... I still can't find the hieroglyph of uh, R2 and 3PO. Am I fucking blind? No, but it is in there. I've seen stills of it. So. Yeah, I've well, seen the stills, but I, I always probably like... Need, probably need 4K to bloody find it now, though, properly. <laughs> yeah. um, so, obviously, Indy's uh, got his hands on the arc. It's uh, hoisted up out of its uh, resting place, and Indy's left trapped in the um, in the well of the souls with Marion and left to die by the Nazis. Now, I don't know if you saw it, but it's so obvious that all them snakes are behind a big glass plate. Well, I think in later disc releases, they've actually cleaned that up. I watched it on Blu-ray the other night, and you can't see the reflection now. Oh yeah, it's it's been cleaned up, like. But yeah. I mean, obviously, I was watching it on a VHS, yeah. so like the, the earliest of it, you could actually see the kind of reflection in the glass. Well, it's, it's not even that. I mean, I was I was watching it with I was watching it with my dad as I do all the films that we review, and like when Marion is chucked into the pit and Indy catches it and she rolls, but basically rolls into the the pit of of a uh, snake. The one that sort of jumps up and starts staring at her, I think it was a King Cobra or something, um, when she sort of scuttles away really quickly to get away from it, like, that snake, if there was no glass panel there, would have had it. It would would have been latching onto her arm and not clinging on for dear life. Yeah. So it, it's it's not even that, obviously, well, on the VHS copy I have, um, it's not even that you can kind of tell that there's a, 
a plate there that protects them from actually being bit by these snakes. It's that when the snake actually like lurches forward and she darts back, you can kind of tell that the snake hits something and goes, oh shit, my head. <laughs> and, like bashes his head. Um, so uh, we move forward a little bit to where, where Indy and Marion have uh, escaped from the pit. And uh, Indy gets into a fight with a man that is built like a brick shit house. Good old Pat Roach. Good old Pat Roach. Um, who Do you know the other na- person is in that scene? Go on. Frank Marshall, the pilot. <laughs> yeah. I'd forgotten that. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I, do you know, you'd think I'd have recognised him. I didn't even recognise him. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, uh, th- this is a, quite a brutal fight because obviously it is just I at you, you at me, I at you, I uh, you at me. Yeah. But the ending of it is a a lot more gruesome. Even obviously you don't see him getting chopped into bits by the propeller of this plane, but it's the fact that there's that massive spatter of what is quite obviously Heinz tomato ketchup all over the plane but it's it's quite a gruesome way to go I mean even the um the Lego version of, and I'm gonna keep talking about the Lego versions of these all the way through these reviews because like that was my secondary exposure to Indiana Jones through the Lego games um when that bit happens in the game the guy's head is actually cut off you actually see the guy's head come off. It's grim for a Lego <laughs> game. That's like, Jesus Christ. Um, no wonder this film was supposed to be rated R. Jesus Christ. At, at um, this point, the, the film does become how many Nazis can Indy punch in the face. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 50 points if you get them squared in the nose. Yeah. I've also I've got a story about Pat Roach as well. Go on. Um, uh, as Tony knows, Pat used to be a, a regular on the convention scene um, back in the, the early 2000s and before he, before he died. And he was at, at one at, um, in London. It would have been London Film and Comic Con. And I'm sure it was at Wembley before they moved, um, the Wembley Conference Centre. And um, I was just leaving. I'd, I'd finished for the day and I was, I was heading off to get back on the train. Uh, and I looked up and Pat Roach was in front of me coming out he was leaving and kept going kept walking and he was still in front of me and i swear he thought i was following him (laughs) (laughs) because just randomly he turned down a side straight like away from like the nearest train station or anything and i'm i'm convinced he thought i was following him and it wasn't long after that that he actually died i think um but I, i always had that in my my head and weirdly i then bumped into one of his um his lv design pack um, Carl's mates on the train <laughs> who hadn't been at the con. Chris Fairbanks was on the train Gee, literally uh... the same day. Um, so for anybody comic book fans, he's um, he's one of the goons that Batman beats up at the beginning of the 1989 Batman film. Um, the, um and then the Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah, God, um. Yeah, so the 
I'm going to move on to the, the chase through the desert. Now, as Tony said at the start of the episode, um, the Indiana Jones films are obviously influenced by the serials that were shown before the main features at the theatre during the 40s and a little bit of the 50s. Um, now, this entire sequence is what feels most like those bits to me. The rest of the film could be from anything. But these bits, the, um, the bit where he's underneath the truck is a homage to Stagecoach, isn't it? John yeah, Wayne. yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that that's that's unmissable that bit. But um, yeah, you can you can really see the influence of the the uh, the forties serials or the thirties and forties serials uh, coming into play there. Um, the <laughs> there's actually a bit of swearing in this bit. Um, that I, I never picked up on as a kid, but obviously, as I said before, I have the subtitles on for practically anything I watch nowadays. Um, there's a lot of shies just getting thrown about. A lot. <laughs> Quite a lot of shies. <laughs> um, but I do love um, the, the action sequences in it are br- brilliantly choreographed. And again, the music just elevates it to another level. You, you can't, you can't do an India and the Jones film without the the brilliant John Williams. It's just impossible now. It's uh, yeah. So uh, obviously, Indy now gets his hands on the Ark, and uh, he's on his little boat back to uh, the US with Captain Katanga, um, <laughs> who I'm convinced I know from somewhere, and um, one of you are going to tell me where he's from. I'm convinced he is um, Mr. Big from Live and Let Die. I could be massively wrong, though. No, you're thinking of Yafa Koto from Alien. Right, okay, okay. Yeah, so, different actor. So, Captain Katanga is from nothing. Have I just made that up? I'm sure he's in something. <laughs> oh, yeah, I wasn't imagine he's been in something, but he's not um, like... You're going to absolutely kick yourself. Go on. Dumbledore style, man. It's Kingsley Shacklebolt. Fuck off. <laughs> you can fuck off. That's not Kingsley Shacklebolt. It is. Oh, my days. George Harris was the actor. Yep. Oh, my God. Right. Do you know what? Just stop the recording. I'm going to go and fucking drown my head in the toilet. <laughs> That. Now age 72. Oh my god, how did I miss that? Oh <laughs> fuck's sake. Well, anyway, I'm gonna move on from that absolute embarrassment of po- lack of potter knowledge that I have just displayed. Um the this this is this this comes to the second bit of humor in this film that makes me laugh out loud. It it's the simplest thing, but it's so funny. Indy's just like staring into the mirror just checking out his wounds and just gets fucking bonneted by the other side in the mirror. <laughs> just, yeah. it's absolutely brilliant. And Little piece of comedy. It's brilliant. Oh, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But, um, obviously the, the, the ship's then boarded, um, but before the ship is boarded, there's that little hint of the power of the arc, the yes. way it burns through the wood. In the, um, yeah, in, in the lower decks of the where they stored it in storage. Do you know what I, I really wanted it to do? Rather than just sort of scorch the wood, 
I wish it would have um, burnt out the um, like properly burnt through the um, the symbol of the the Third Reich and obviously the swastika at the bottom. I really wanted it to do that. Just you know, big f u to the Nazis. Um, but the um, obviously the it's it um. The, the ship is then boarded by the Nazis and Marion's taken hostage. And but the the bit where Indy like obviously swims out to the boat. Is that a German U-boat or is it a submarine? Because it, it gives the impression that it's a submarine because they sound like they're shouting dive, 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 and like the the turning all the valves and taking on water. And I'm assuming they're going underwater. Now how the hell has Indy held his breath for all that fucking way right across the Pacific? Well, no, the suggestion is that it, 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 it's sailed above the war because I'd actually written down, how did Indy know that they weren't going to die in the first place? Yeah, exactly. He was working on faith a lot there. <laughs> um, it's just they, plot convenience. No, I, I think they just sort of, it's a, they just have the command to set sail. But, um, yeah. Well, um, yeah, probably if they when, Yeah, well, when when obviously then they make um they, they land at the islands at the um the underwater, not not underwater the underground base, and um Indy's trying to find the this the the, uh, the uniform to fit them. That's that always makes me chuckle because you always get those action heroes who just find a random fella knock him out, take his uniform, and it always just magically fits perfectly. <laughs> when, like, he could be a little short-ass, and, like, yeah. the trousers should be, like, up to his fucking kneecaps. And I love the fact that they actually hyper-realise it and make it that, yeah, he's knocked this fella out, but the uniform doesn't fit. And then the yeah. fella, cut, the, the chairman officer comes along, and he's, like, scolding him for, like, <laughs> not being like not being properly dressed and shit like that. And he goes, oh, I've had enough. This just fucking cl- classes the fella. Yeah. It is brilliant. <laughs> Do his hair, it's just funny. It's just funny. Yeah. Oh yeah, he starts combing his hair. What the fuck's that yeah. about? <laughs> uh, um, it's brilliant. Well, the, obviously, then there's the procession scene with the ark as they're, they're making their way to the top of the island to uh, open the ark. Um, but the scene. That um then sort of comes along with it, where Indy's got the uh, the RPG, and he's about to obviously blow up the arc. And the that famous cameo goes... from the fly, from the what? Flying oh, the fly. Fly. Yeah. Do you know what? I in all the years I've been watching this film, like every Easter, Christmas, whatever it was, I always saw it, and I don't know what possessed me to think this. I used to think that there was always a fly in the room whenever Indiana Jones came on. I didn't actually realise it was on the fucking screen. You thought it was on the telly. I actually thought a fly would just come in every time Indiana Jones was on the telly. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. And then I was watching it this time with my dad, and I said, just have a look at that. Is that a fly on the screen or in the screen? I mean, I was like, no, it's in the screen. That's like a major thing in like Indiana Jones. Everyone knows that's an actual fly. And I was like, but I didn't. <laughs> um, but again, this scene sort of echoes the one that we spoke about earlier that took place in Cairo, where um, it's Belloc basically saying, we're not so different, you and I. 
because at the end of the day, they're both massively interested in this artifact and they do want to know yeah. what what is inside it. Is it going to open up a portal to heaven? Is it going to bring God down for the second coming? You know, is it going to start the apocalypse? What's it going to do? And it's the fact that Indy's morbid curiosity gets the better of him. And he wants to know the truth behind the legend. So he surrenders to the Nazis. Yeah. And in yeah. fairness, it's ultimately actually what saves him. Because by being there, he, he A, saved himself and B, saved Marion. Because mm. Marion wouldn't know what the fuck to do when that arc was opened. She'd have been brown bread. Yeah. Um, we actually, you get in that climax when they're tied to the post and everything starts to kick off. You you can see him putting, putting the pieces together from the drawings we saw earlier in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, of course. Uh, when, when he tells her to shut her eyes and he's trying to, he's trying to put it all together of what, what, what it actually really is. Yeah. Well, the, the, this this entire sequence now of the opening of the arc is just, it's just all, every single second of it is just classic. Now it's cinematic, it's yeah. cinematic history. It's absolutely brilliant. Don't get me wrong. It's disgusting when they all start dying, and like <laughs> the nature in which they die. But it's brilliant to watch. Yeah. Um. It's and I I won't lie. The the ghosts that come up out of the arc are a little bit early Ghostbusters. Yeah. When like the the CGI ghosts were brilliant, but you could obviously tell they were ghosts. Um. And. But in eighty one, it's a fantastic effect, and especially oh, God, yeah. the, morph, the morph bit when they morph from the really nice space to the really horrible one. It's yeah. really well done, actually. It's oh, seamless. Well, yeah, it's scary as hell, and no wonder like the film was gonna get an R rating just because of this entire scene. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the reason that um, when Belloc's face explodes later <laughs> on, and there's that massive column of fire in front of him. Originally, that wasn't going to be there. They added that in so that they could get it down to a PG-13 rating rather than an R. So, yeah, but, they, um, they build it in, didn't they? Yeah, to sort of just tone it down slightly. I remember reading that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not being funny, though. Like, even though they added that column of fire just to get that rating down, I still... It's still brutal. <laughs> yeah, it's still really brutal. And the fact that bloody... Um, the Gestapo agent's face physically melts off his, his, the bones of his body. Like, yeah. surely that's an R rating in itself. Yeah, and, and I, I want to point out that it's a very similar effect to what's in the end of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> With Christopher Lloyd, it's pretty much exactly the same effect. God, yeah. And yeah. that got through as a blooming PG. Yeah. Um. And also the the ghost thing it's very much a signpost of what comes in in the fourth one, um, with the the aliens at the end. Um, it's a very similar scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. Except he just goes a little bit more religious with it. Yeah. Because a lot of detractors of of raiders do sort of go on about the fact that Indy doesn't actually do anything at the end. That's kind of not the point, really. Well, no, it's it's not the point. But uh, the thing is, I would say he doesn't, he shouldn't do anything because, no. as you said just before, Tony, he's tied to the post. He's putting the pieces together, and yeah. at the end of the day, you know, the bad guys die. What he does, he saves himself and Marion. That's what he does. That's what he should do. Yeah. Eyes, yeah. 
yeah? But, I, see, now, I want your guys' opinion on this. Now, I've got two theories as to what actually happens with the arc and what comes out of the arc and why what happens happens. But I want to know why you think Indy and Marion survive it and obviously all the Nazis die. I'm assuming it's just because they're looked upon as being good. Yeah, because yeah, because it yeah, and it is it's all to do with witnessing it, isn't it? I think the fact that they close their eyes, they're, yeah. they're not affected by its power because they can't see it. Yeah, that see that that's that's one of the things I've got. See, what I've got written down is the arc was um oh no, sorry, in taking the sort of biblical religious route, um there's a Bible quote that basically says all all have sinned and are unworthy of the glory of God, which basically means anyone who wields the ark after biblical times has sinned, which means they're not worthy of the power that the ark possesses. So the ark will just kill them. And I, and so, I think it also plays on things like looking into the face of God as well and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas those, those who don't, and that's why they survive, basically. Yeah, so that well, that's what I was kind of thinking because because the Nazis are quite bloody rightly unworthy of the the power of God. They um, the wrath of God um, ascends from the Ark and yeah. kills those who are not worthy. But the thing is, the the reason I would say Indian Marians survive obviously because they shut their eyes. They don't physically witness the wrath of God, yeah. and they have they actually have no intention of using the Ark. Yeah, for yeah, yeah. the purpose of taking over the planet, they especially it, the poison chalice. What, what you try to wield its power and it basically blows up in your face, yeah, literally. But, like, it's as I said before, Indy just wants to study the arc, he just wants to look at it and make notes on it. He doesn't want to go out and conquer the world. And Marion couldn't give a shit basically either way, mm. she just she just wants Indy's babies, <laughs> <laughs> like that. that That's literally it. Um. So sh- should we just uh, get some final thoughts then, fellas? I just want—I just wanted to drop in another re- another reference at this point, where um, because we're back to Family Guy again, okay. um, and James Woods, who ends up in Area Fifty One in that same scene. James Woods. <laughs> you remember that James Woods episode where they put him in a crate, and he's basically, and it's the bloke pushing the crate away, and he pulls back, and it's like the same shot from Raiders. Area fifty one. <laughs> well, well. Sp- speaking of the par the parody of um that end bit where they're putting the arc away in Area fifty one, um the the Lego version just is the version I always remember, and um it's the guy who's wheeling the crate, and he turns left, puts obviously goes to put the arc away, and then the credits start rolling. But as the credits roll on the Lego version anyway, um the caretaker or whatever he's called, um comes out of the bit that he's just been in. And starts looking up and down the island. Starts, and you can obviously tell that he just goes, "Oh shit, I can't remember where I am," <laughs> and he's just lost in the vast cavern of Area Fifty One. It's brilliant. Um, yeah. So, should we just get some overall final thoughts? Yeah. Um, yeah. I say I fell in love with this film instantly. The only thing that sticks in my craw is I've never got to see it on a big screen. I would desperately Aww. love to see it on a big screen. Um, Showcase tend to do um classic film show and just to try and find one of them yeah, it has been on once or twice over the years um, and yeah I just loved it from the from the off I saw that that Christmas night uh, even peppered with adverts on ITV at my nan's it was just a brilliant experience 
Um, and it's a film I revisited over and over on, on, on VHS. When it came out, I bought the VHS. I always catch bits on telly. And it's a film, if it's on telly and I've got it, I, I can still sit there and watch half an hour of it playing out just because it's just... So I put on a pair of lovely old slippers from the 1930s. Yeah. Um, and I can't find a thing wrong with it. I've, I've mentioned the bit at the end that people have issues with. And I don't have a problem with it. Karen is lovely in it. That, that, those blue eyes and that smile and that scene at the end. Oh, my word. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think great. Tony needs to go and have a cold shower. Harrison is fantastic. It's, it's the part he was made for, I think. I think this is the, the more iconic role for him than Han ever was, actually. Oh yeah, yeah. He's, he's front and center in this one. He's, he's perfect in the in the, in, the, in those first couple of films. Um, the score is fantastic. Spielberg knows how to throw you together and it rattles along. And for me, this is a film that's going to be pushing really high for my score, and I'm going to go for something about ninety six percent. It's that okay. high. Paul. Yeah. Sadly, I'm I'm not so taken with this film. Oh. Um, not in not in a bad way. I'm not okay. saying it's a bad film. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I find the first half is a, a, an action adventure classic um, yeah. with love and intrigue thrown in. As I said, the second half feels like a lot of action scenes stitched together um, with very little story to it. It's a lot of fight scenes and stuff like that, which for me just lets it down a little bit. But in the long run, that's what people go to the cinema to see. Yeah. Uh, I just feel it could have been mixed up a little bit more. Um, and what's reflecting on my score is I think there's a better film in this franchise than the first one. Um, so I have to take something off the score for that. Otherwise, they'd be too close, in, in my opinion. Um, so I've only given it an 84. Oh, that's wow. okay. Okay. In fairness, in fairness, well, that is from what you were saying, I was thinking you were going to go about ten percent lower than that. No, oh God, no! It's still a an absolute, as I said, action adventure classic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I just feel it's a little bit let down by that the second half uh, yeah. of not much story really, and there being a better film in the franchise. Okay. Okay. Is, would, would that happen to be the next one? In a couple or? of months' time, then, because my. My reaction to the film that we're thinking of is that it's not Raiders. <laughs> so that's going to be interesting. <laughs> All right. So uh, for me, this is an absolutely fantastic film. It's it's not perfect. It's not perfect. No, no film is a 10 out of 10 perfect. I will always find something to nitpick. Um, but it's absolutely up there. I'm I'm a little bit higher than Tony in my score, not by much, but I am a little bit higher, um, because it is, it is absolutely the stronger of all the Indiana Jones films, but it's just not my favourite, um, because I'm kind of with Paul in the thing that, although there is quite a fair bit of exposition, which is obviously needed for a film like this, um, I don't think there's enough. And as Paul said before, the the amount of action in the second half could have been broken up a little bit with a little bit more exposition. Like there could have been a, a scene where Indy is in the procession with Marion and he is putting those pieces together so that when they do open the arc, 
there's a reason as to why you just blurt out, shut your eyes, and don't open it for anything. It could there could have just been something there. Now I gotta to touch on something just before we wrap up completely. There is the argument that's come out in the last couple of years that stemmed from the Big Bang Theory that Indiana Jones plays absolutely no influence on this plot whatsoever. Yeah, and yeah. thus he is redund- a redundant party in this film. Mm. Now, don't be wrong, I, I do get where that comes from. But I kind of what I studied this film kind of intensely with that um that theory in mind. Um, and I think I might have found the perfect counter-arguments to uh, the Big Bang Theory suggestion. Um, so, obviously, the Big Bang Theory posits that um, Indiana Jones, if he hadn't found it, found the Ark of the Covenant, the um, or even gone to Marion's in the first place and nicked the, the real medallion from the staff... Um, the Nazis would have got it anyway. They would have found the Ark. They would have taken the Ark to the island. They would have opened it. And they all would have died in the end. The film would have played out exactly the same. However, I think I have found where these sort of theories diverge and Indy does actually influence it. And it comes from the bit that we were talking about with uh, Pat Roach, uh, the bit where the plane blows up. Um, the original plan of the Nazis was to transport the Ark directly to Berlin yeah. and to Hitler. So basically, thus, the Ark would have been opened by Hitler in Berlin. And the time that this film takes place being 1936, there would have been no Second World War at all. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think yeah. about it, Indiana Jones technically causes the second world war to come about. He certainly, yeah, he certainly prevents it from being stopped before it starts, arguably, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I would argue they, they, that... They change their plans the plot. his interference, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I would argue that he does influence the plot. Don't get me wrong, mm. it's not in a massive way, but yeah. he does change the outcome of where the arc ended up. Like the, the arc basically ends up in Area 51 because of Indy. Yeah. Whereas it would have gone straight to Berlin, Hitler would have opened it, and the entire Third Reich would have fallen in 1936. <laughs> so, um, my overall score is just a little bit higher than Tony's, as I said, and it sits at a lovely little 97% for this film. Yeah. It is an absolute classic. Um, not my favorite in the franchise, as I've said. But it is definitely the stronger and more well thought out of the entire Indiana Jones saga. So that is it for Raiders of the Lost Ark. We hope you have thoroughly enjoyed it, minus the technical difficulties that we experienced today. We think some the Scientologists were opening the Ark next door to me, <laughs> and the Wi-Fi signal has just gone to fucking pot. So um, join <laughs> join us next week for uh, next month, I should say. I, I'm just obsessed with weeks at the minute. Um, join us next month for some chilled monkey brains. And an exploration of the Temple of Doom. Cheerio. Right.